Hi, I'm Melanie Huggard. Welcome to Eavesdropping, a conversation between two life consultants where we talk about the questions that can be scary. These are conversations that spark curiosity, insight, perspective, and breakthrough. This podcast might trigger you, and I actually hope that it does. I hope that it triggers you into growth. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody. I am excited to be with you today. I um, have a different friend on the podcast with me today. Um, I met Aaron. This is Aaron Hayes we're going to be introducing today. Say hi, Aaron. Right when I'm drinking water, of course. Ah. Hi, everyone. No. (laughs) You waited for me to drink and then you said say hi. I did wait. Um, yeah. I'm not professional on this podcast at all. We're going to be goofy like we normally are. And Erin uh, <laughs> um, in his car. Oh, don't, run. don't make weird noise. Oh, is that, a, is that a ship going by? That was a schooner. I know. Anyways, keep going, Melanie. Go ahead. Erin <laughs> uh, is sitting in his car in Tennessee. At his yes. He recently moved from Northern California to Tennessee after living in California all of his life, in this small area of Northern California all of his life. Um, he is married with kids, and I'll let him share a little bit about that, but you took a crew with you across the country, and so today I want to talk about transition and what that was like for you. So why don't you share a little bit about just your background, where you lived, and then um, take it from there. Yeah, I mean, my family was in Southern California when I was, uh, well, I was born in Southern California, and then we moved up to far Northern California, almost the Oregon border, and um, pretty much my whole family from elementary school through High school was there. And then after high school, my family moved away, my parents and brother and sister. Um, But I stayed there because I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart. And uh, usually when I go to speaking events, I say I have five kids and I haven't slept in 10 years. Uh But uh, we've got two adopted kids. Um, Our oldest is Jared. He was a former student of mine. Um, And so we adopted Jared and then we adopted our daughter, Jessie. Mm -hmm. She's our second oldest and she is 16. And then we have Toby, Noah, and Wyatt. So Jared's like 29 now. Jesse's 16. Toby's 15. Noah's 13. Wyatt's 10. And um, my wife and I haven't slept in a really long time. So. (laughs) (laughs) And how many dogs you got? Two dogs, one cat, and a lot of indigestion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's from the meat roll you just ate. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the gout. You know, I literally, I literally, I, I was running all day. So I didn't really eat breakfast or lunch. And then I was getting ready to get on the, on this uh, call with you. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm totally going to like get 10 minutes into this and like curl up in a fetal position. <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> we don't want that. No. <laughs> so living in this area, how many years do you live in this area? Um, well, 
me, well, my wife is 39. And then, so she's been there her whole life. And then um, I've been up there for probably 35. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long time to put roots down. A lot of roots. A long time. Yeah. A long time. A lot of roots. Yeah. You weren't just people that lived here. You were very involved in your community. You guys have been community uh, focused and wanting to make it a better place um, all of your life, really. So whatever, at whatever stage of life that, from what I know of you guys that you were in, you're always part of something helping making that, that, uh, community better. So yeah, you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, just coaching and pastoring and teaching and, um, obviously raising kids here, but we also, uh, both my wife and I went to school, we went to college here. So like our, our whole lives were kind of wrapped up in Shasta County in yeah. Northern California. And um, so a lot of time with youth and families invested in kids and families mm-hmm. um, and that kind of, um, you know, the last couple of years that culminated in building a, a mentoring nonprofit where we um, recruit, recruited, trained and placed about 450 mentors into the community. Um, which of course that's where Melanie and I met getting to work together for that nonprofit. Right. Um, um, I call her felony Melanie, you know, <laughs> you <called me laughs> that Melanie, right out the gate. Didn't even know. Right me. Didn't, didn't know my history. Called me that right out the gate. And I was like, that fits more than you realize. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a lot of fun doing that. And then the um, last year and a half or so I helped um, start and build a school um, that, um, is still running. Um, mm-hmm. but it was time for me to move on to a new chapter. And so I really have had a good time starting things. I helped start a church yep. that grew to over 2,500 members. And, um, you know, so I went from that to a nonprofit and then from the nonprofit to starting a school and doing consulting. So, um, all of our roots are there, you know, it's weird. Actually, I, I drove back into Reading recently because my brother had a surgery and I was driving him home and it was the first time in 35 years that I drove into Reading and didn't feel like I'm coming home oh wow that was a total trip I was like wow this is weird you know and they say a home is where the heart is Mm. and my family's across the country yeah you know and so I have all these people that I love dearly that I consider family of course Mel you're one of those you and Ken are very important to my family. Yeah. Um, but um, even with having people like that, that are there that I know that I love, um, there's that sense of connection. But when your family's across the country, all of a sudden I was like, oh, this isn't home right now. Yeah. Uh, it was a trip. That, it was a total that, trip. Yeah. That had to be really weird. So it was very weird. Let's talk about the transition because you were starting to talk about a lot of cool stuff the other day. And I was like, oh, yeah, podcast, let's talk. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh, yeah, let's do that. Um, Talk a little bit about your transition and and kind of what you've been realizing. Well, okay. So, you guys, if you're listening to this right now, how many of you can raise your hand right now and be like, transition and change is a part of life? I mean, all of our hands would go up things are constantly changing. Hello, it's called COVID. Everyone's lives have been turned upside down every other week. Yeah. So, you know, like change is a part of life and whatever your approach to change is, like change is either showing up to murder you 
uh, or it's showing up to reveal you. And so I've tried to, over the last couple of years, have this attitude that like change is here to reveal my greatness. And sometimes it's change that I engage with, like I create the momentum for the change to happen. And then sometimes it's change that life shows up and it creates a set of circumstances where you have to, you have the opportunity to embrace the change. And then sometimes, especially if you're a person of faith or a believer, sometimes it's like God initiated change. Mm -hmm. And so this, this shift for us, um, this navigating change for us was a little bit of all three of those. Yeah. It was a little bit of me initiated, a little bit of God initiated, and then a little bit of just life circumstances coming together where all of a sudden we were entertaining, moving in a way that we had never entertained it before. Right. Right. We were. And so the thing is here is like at this moment in our life, uh, um, we had over the last couple of years, I left the church that I helped start. Um, and I had been a part of that for over 11 years. Um, and I burned out really hard after that. And that felt like the first major uprooting. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, that was the first really big one because I felt, um, I felt consistent. I had stability in that, but it was kind of, uh, had become a toxic environment for me yeah. and I needed to move on. And yeah. so it's funny, Tony Robbins says, people only change if they're moving away from pain, if they're moving towards pleasure, or if they have to, for fear of future, uh, fear of future, uh, consequences. Mm -hmm. And so I had all three of those when I left the church, I was like, I was moving towards something positive, the nonprofit I was building. Yeah. Uh, I was afraid what was going to happen if I stayed there because I was having so much conflict. I could feel myself getting bitter. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so it was like fear of future consequences. And then the pain of staying was greater than the pain of embracing the risk. Yeah. So oh. when that transition happened, you know, six, seven years ago, all of a sudden, ever since then, my family was kind of uprooted in a way where we started this process of looking at everything and going, okay, you know, like God, what, what have you called me to? What have, what um, gifts and talents and skills have you given me to honor? And if, if, you know, it's kind of like that question, if you had a million dollars, you know, what would you do? Or if there was no financial limit to your dreams, what would you create? Yeah. And you start asking these bigger questions. And when you ask those bigger questions, all of a sudden, the things that seemed like humongous hurdles that you could never get past, all of a sudden they start seeming really small. Yeah. You know, and so like that opening that up, all of a sudden opened me up to go for the last five to seven years, I realized I've been, I've been giving myself permission to dream and think about change, not as something that's trying to kill me but as something that's trying to reveal me. And yeah. that little shift is kind of the major shift that led us to entertaining a move across the country. So it almost sounds like your, your transition started back when you left the church. That's what I'm realizing now. <laughs> your transition to Tennessee specifically, you can trace it starting back then. That's kind of cool. Well, and part of what's initiated that too is like when we stepped out of the church in Reading, um, we started doing house church, which was wonderful and beautiful and with some friends, but it wasn't the same as like, 
corporate worship as in like being in a church, it was really hard in Reading because every single church I went into, people knew that I was a pastor at yeah. the stirring. And so it, we couldn't ever just go and be new people yeah. everywhere we went to like, oh, why are you here? And then it made some of the pastors feel uncomfortable because, uh-huh. you know, the other big pastors showed up in there and it just, it was this awkward thing where it was like, man, can't we just go to church? And, right. but I also had all these, I had all this pain that I had to process. And so church didn't feel super safe. And so I say all that to say, getting out here, nobody knows us. That's great. We come into church. It's the first time ever in my life. I'm a true first timer. Yeah. Yeah. No one has any expectations of Aaron, the pastor, Aaron, the city leader, Mm. Aaron. And this is a benefit of change, by the way, especially if you like do a big change, like what we're doing, we moved across the country is like, it's really fun to start all over. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if in this context of like, we're embracing the change, it's yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, when I um when I moved from Southern California to Northern California, I remember um walking into a new church and it was a, a larger church than what I had been used to going to and I had asked God, "Please don't I don't I feel like a little fish in a big pond." Yeah. Where previously at that smaller church in Southern California, I was a a bigger fish in a small pond, you know, because the pond was yeah. smaller, I was bigger, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, but I felt God really put on me. He said, you can't grow anymore when the environment's so small. Right. And so it was the best move. I, I, I'm so glad I did it. And I don't know if staying in Reading is permanent or not still, but um, I like it while I'm here. What do they say about um, fish is they grow to the size of the container that they're in? Yeah. You know, like goldfish can get really huge, actually, if yeah. you put them in a bigger, a bigger container yeah. and let them keep feeding them. You know, um, I think that there's, you know, there's another thing about, well, anyways, I, you know, <laughs> like if you, you get into a, you get into a bigger pond and it is more challenging, but you grow to be something bigger. You yeah. grow muscles you didn't know that you needed to grow. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've been just tripping out on is like, one of the benefits of change is like, everything feels new. Yeah. It's not like I've never lived in a town before, but I've never lived in this town, mm-hmm. right? So like every corner is like, oh, that's kind of cool. What's that? And, and you know that um, curiosity and creativity go together. Yeah. And so like right now I'm starting to feel in my life and just in this moment, I'm starting to feel really creative again in a way that I haven't felt in a long time because everything is new and it's making me feel curious about everything. But that curiosity is what drives creativity. And so sometimes what happens is we'll stay in a place where we're comfortable because we're afraid of what's on the other side. We're afraid of what happens. I had a mentor that she sent me a meme And it said, you have to let go of what's in your hand to be able to receive what God wants to put in it. Mm -hmm. Like you have to let go of what's in your hand to receive the new thing. Right. And I was thinking, you know, it's like the new thing right now is just that everything feels so fresh. Like every person is super interesting to me because I don't know anything about them. (laughs) You know, like the coffee shop, just talking to 
random people. And all of a sudden that's very fascinating and interesting, which it always kind of was because I'm a people person. Yeah. You, but, but coffee shops and this man, like don't yeah. plan on going to a coffee shop and him not have many people that he's talking to. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone Especially from the when they know him. <laughs> yeah. So Shasta County, it's like, if I, if I want to just go and enjoy myself and not get anything done, I can go to a coffee shop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so funny. Um, how are you navigating like the pain part of all of this? What does that, what does that look like for you? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of this happened in such a whirlwind, you know, like uh, Donald Miller calls it like an inciting incident. Yeah. When you create a moment that you can't turn back from, mm -hmm. you know, like when we put our house on the market and then it sold within like three or four days, all of a sudden it was like, oh, we are now in this and we can't turn back. And so um, that prior to that, I was fixing up the house. So there's a lot of work there. And then all of a sudden we had to be out in 30 days. And so all it just created this crazy timeline. And what that did was it put me into busy work mode. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I didn't really, I didn't feel like I was necessarily like grieving, like the loss of friends. Um, although I know that my friends were grieving the loss of me and, and my family, you know, like not in a, that sounded really egotistical, but I mean that. <laughs> no, like, we, we told you all about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean that in the best sense of like, yeah. you're, when your good friends are crying and you're like, pulling out of the driveway. So I, I think I got teared up in Flagstaff maybe, you know, like, cause it was like at Flags, when we got to Flagstaff, Arizona, I was like, holy crap. We're not like, uh, we're not just like going on vacation. Cause that's what it felt like. Even though we had all of our stuff, it felt like, oh, we're kind of going on a summer vacation. Um, but we're never coming back. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I guess, I guess right now, um, I've had a couple moments where I felt it's like being homesick at camp. Yeah. You know, like, or, or if you've ever felt homesickness when you're like, oh man, I feel achy inside because I miss my friends. Yeah. Um, I just feel also at the same time, I feel so blessed because I, a have friends that are I know are lifelong friends and that are coming to see us yeah so I don't have fear that I'm never going to get my friends anymore right um I, I have excitement that I'm going to get to make new friends mm -hmm. um so there's some excitement um but I don't have to associate it with fear and then there's another part of I've never felt closer to my wife um than I do right now and like truly my my wife and my kids are my home. Mm -hmm. That's that's where my heart is. And yeah. so getting to feel like we are all on this adventure together, I've been able to, I feel more present with my kids, which has actually been a prayer of mine. That's to, awesome. A lot of times when your kids get into high school, you get more disconnected. And my prayer has been that when they get into high school, we would get more connected. Yeah. And so um, I've been having really special moments with all of my kids um, just because there's no distractions out here. Yeah. It's just us, just us and them and sense. they're embracing all this new. And yeah. if I can't be there for them, they are really, truly all alone. Yeah. 
And so I just feel so connected to them. So those are things I'm feeling massive gratitude for. Um, so I'm probably feeling more gratitude than pain right now. But part of it's because I'm not, we didn't make this change as victims. We've chosen to embrace this change, even though there's so much unknown. And even though we feel like God was calling us in a lot of ways to move, even though it doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Like literally my, my portrait was hanging in city hall. Right. You know, I had, when they finally took it down a couple of weeks ago, I had to have someone go pick it up. So he went and got it for me. <laughs> I tried to have Melanie hang my portrait in her office, but it was too weird. So now, so now it's at my friend's Kelly in my friend Kelly's house next to her front door. And she says she smiles when she, when she walks past my portrait every day. So <laughs> It's like the ultimate white elephant gift. Someone did a portrait of me. It was her first ever portrait. And that day I had been working in the yard all day and I got totally sunburned and I had a five o'clock shadow and I didn't realize she was going to take a picture and then paint a portrait of me. Uh -huh. And so I looked like if Don Johnson and Tom Selleck had a love child <laughs> and then painted a portrait together. <laughs> so <laughs> You should just add this picture to the podcast notes. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, what were we talking about again? I don't remember now. So, but you said you made a good point. I didn't choose into this as a victim. So no, in the choosing, um, you feel like that's kind of dealing with some of the pain. I also want to kind of include, you just moved on the 16th of December and today is the 17th of January. It's been one month, one month. Yeah. Yeah. So not a lot of time has passed. And like you said, it was a whirlwind. And um, yeah. yeah, it's a lot, and, a lot. Yeah, and my brother just had a major surgery. So I had, I got everyone here. We'd been here for 14 days, like two weeks. And then I got back on the airplane and flew to San Francisco where my brother had a 12 hour brain surgery. Right. And then we were in San Francisco for a week mm -hmm. taking while he was, you know, in the hospital. And then I took him home and then got on an airplane and flew back last Tuesday. So I haven't even fully had a chance to land down. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I haven't had a chance to like really get, um, feel that sense of home here yet, other than just my family um, and realizing that when I'm with them, I feel home. Um, but you know, the thing that I've been recognizing about this whole change is that change I feel like the reality of change is almost neutral it really is what you make of it. it it really is how you position your heart and how you position your mind and even if it's something bad even if it's a bad change that you didn't see coming we always have a choice in change for how I'm going to allow this change um, or engage with this change? Am I going to engage with it as a victim? Like, geez, God, why did you move me across the country? You know, or, or why did, why did I do that? I'm such an idiot. You know, those are ways to engage like a victim as opposed to engage with it and go, man, what an awesome adventure. My kids are going to forever tell about when their parents um, felt like they were supposed to move across the country and it didn't make a ton of sense, but they did it anyways. Mm -hmm. because they felt uh, they were on a faith journey with God and God was calling them to move. 
you know, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that narrative. Obviously there's a lot of unknown that I have to embrace, but, um, oh, my car just turned on, but in embracing that, um, I'm feeling empowered instead of unempowered. I'm feeling inspired instead of uninspired. Um, I'm feeling scared, but I'm not feeling scared as a victim. I'm just feeling the natural butterflies you feel when you're the new kid in town. Yeah. And I actually think it's really good because it's making me hyper aware of things that I wouldn't normally pay attention to. And uh, let's see here. One, one of the things is like, um, I'm going to, I'm going to be meeting with one of the uh, pastors at the church. Um, I'm going to, we're going to go meet up for coffee because he seems, he seems to be kind of like the city guy at the Mm -hmm. church, the guy who engages with city ministry and he wants to start a mentoring program, but he doesn't know how. Well, Mm -hmm. good news. I know how to do that, you know, Yeah. but I, um, yesterday I went to church and I happened to turn around and I saw him walking in and, um, he was, uh, he was greeting these three kids that I looked like it may be their may have been their first time to church and he was so encouraging of them and he gave them all hugs and high fives and fist bumps and I watched this guy who was embracing kids who clearly weren't his kids I was watching him embrace them in a way that I was like he is he is the me of Cleveland Uh but you know one of the things I recognized for me was very rarely when I was in that position, did people and pastoring that I feel people came up and encouraged me in my gifting. Uh-huh. And so all of a sudden I was here watching. I was like, Oh my gosh, I get to be the guy that gets to encourage this guy in his gifting. Yeah. I get to see him in a way that no one else sees him because he's not old news to me. Yeah. He is, he, he is fresh news to me. Right. Right. And so I'm really excited. Like that's a level of awareness that I used to walk in a lot, but when I got um, burned out, I, I just like lost that ability for a while. Yeah. And you, you know me enough, Melanie, to know like that's a really high value for me Yeah. to be present, but I feel like I'm getting to be present on a whole nother level right now. I'm like super fine tuned senses to go, whoa, I see him in a way that, that maybe no one is seeing him right now. I can't wait to encourage him tomorrow. That's cool. That's cool. Um, you talk about, you mentioned burnout and, you know, you help people who are burned out. That's one of the things you've done. You've done retreats on burnout and you have, uh, content and courses that you want to come out with on burnout and overcoming burnout. How do you, in this transition, right? Like you could, you could burn out from what you just went through. How are Mm -hmm. you? How are you navigating the transition of this and dealing with burnout? Not, and not just this transition, but you know, you had to fly back out and the brother, I mean, that's intense. It was an intense whirlwind month. Yeah. Um, well, I would say I actually have been thinking about that a little bit because you, I could burn out, yeah. you know, we're driving like 12 to 15 hours a day, but not making very much distance because I was pulling a massive trailer. Like <laughs> um, I was really tired. And my kids, specifically my um, oldest son, who's still at home, you know, because like at everyone's throats and making it kind of like a, 
a miserable trip for us, you know? And so it's like, um, there's a lot of pressure when you're moving and a lot of things actually went wrong on the trip out. So, okay. Just giving you the context of all of that. One of the things that I, when I was pastoring, I realized I was going straight from work, driving home and then stepping into home life. And then there would be the chaos of the home life. Sarah's having to discipline the kids. The kids are fighting. So I go straight from stress into stress. And I had this time period where I would start um, parking my car around the corner from my house where no one could see that my kids couldn't see the car. My wife couldn't see the car. And I gave myself permission to have 15 minutes just to breathe. I wouldn't listen to the radio. I wouldn't scroll on Facebook. Just 15 minutes for me to decompress so that I could show up and be at my best when I stepped into home life. Um, and I say that to go, that's kind of the permission that I've given myself in this transition. Some things I've learned about transition is they take longer than you think. Yeah. You know, and um, you have to be willing to give yourself grace and permission to, um, there's a Marine Corps saying, uh, it's a, a motto about their guns. They say, when you're putting together a rifle, they say, um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So when you're a Marine, you have to learn how to put your gun together blindfolded. You have to be able to just feel the parts. And if you try and go fast, what happens is you'll start dropping parts and you actually go slower. But if you take your time and if you pay attention and you go slow, you end up actually going a little bit smoother. And when you go smooth, it actually ends up going faster. Mm -hmm. So I've been giving myself permission literally to slow down. Um, permission to not have to immediately jump right back into work. Good. Of course, I'm in a, I'm in a good position with that because we sold our house. So I don't have to be like, oh my gosh, I have to start working. You know, when I went back to San Francisco for my brother's surgery, I technically could have worked that whole week. Mm-hmm. Notice I didn't say should have. Yeah. I said I could have. Right. But it was so emotionally charged. My brother's having a 12 hour brain surgery that was only supposed to be six, by the way. Wow. Right. And I'm with my sister who I, I haven't spent this much time with my sister since we were probably 14 years old. Wow. So like, it was just a weird moment in time. And I was like, I am not going to work my way through this weekend and miss out on being present on a very important moment with my family. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I didn't work. I only had one work call the whole week that I took. The rest of the time, I focused on being present. And then I got home after that whole thing. I got home on Tuesday and I was like, I should start working. And I could feel the pressure to start working. Um, but I realized like, if I really believe that God has enough for me, because this is the difference between being lazy. I'm not talking about being lazy. Right. Um, but if I really believe that God is a good father and that he provides and that he cares about me, um, that if it were me and it were my son, I would not feel bad about my son taking a couple days after moving across the country, across three time zones, then getting on a plane and flying all the way back for a brain surgery. And then getting on a plane and flying all the way back across the three time zones. I'm in like six different time zones now. Yeah. That as a father, he wouldn't be angry at me for taking a couple days to get my body in the same time zone. Yeah. And he wouldn't be angry at me for taking a couple days to actually connect with my family 
um, and to be able to be present for them because I've now been gone. I've been gone for a week. And so I just gave myself permission to go, Aaron, it's okay for you to move a little bit slower to get caught up on sleep. Um, I, I did get home super late that night um, from the Atlanta airport, but I got up the next morning at 6.30 and I drove all my kids to school and um, I, I took them to school and then I took a nap in the middle of the day and I went and picked them up and I just, I have burned the candle on both ends so hard for so many years that when I burned out, um, I knew, and my body tells me mm-hmm. um, that I can never run like that again. Yeah, I have to run in a way that is sustainable. I got, I've got to run in such a way that I don't lose my family on the altar of me being successful. And what I'm finding is I'm more productive when I'm coming from a place of rest. I'm more productive when I'm coming from a place of connection. I'm more productive when I'm coming from a place of giving myself uh, permission to go a little bit uh, slower so that I can move a little bit smoother, which actually ends up being faster because when you're burned out, you work a lot, but you don't accomplish as much. Yeah. So I could put in 15 hours, but only accomplish four hours worth of work because I'm just in a brain fog. Right. And you know, that's one of the things I see working with so many people is like people work these ridiculous hours, but they're just highly ineffective. Yeah. So you tell me, is it better to work six effective hours or is it better to work 15 ineffective hours? Right. Because that's what happens in burnout. Mm-hmm. People think I just need to do more. But the problem is you work more, but you don't necessarily do more. Right. And I've been in this multi-year shift of how do I do more in less time? And the way I do that is by honoring my rest and by giving myself permission. Now the, now I've turned that corner, you know, it's a three-day weekend. Tomorrow I get to jump back into work and I'm excited and I'm going to work my ass off for six to eight hours a day mm-hmm. and really go hard. And then when it's dinner time, I'm going to stop and yeah. I'm going to take my kids to the YMCA and I'm going to go on date nights with my wife mm-hmm. and I'm going to um, FaceTime my friends. Yeah. You know, I'm going, I'm, I don't believe that you have to become a slave to your work in order to be successful. I think that you need to be diligent and focused. And in that, that's my big shift that I'm focusing on right now is that follow through and diligence in my time that I am working. Cause I believe I can accomplish more in six hours when I'm coming fully rested than I ever could if I'm burned out working 15. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and I've known you, you know, I've known you a couple of years now and I've worked with you and I've seen the days where there's a deadline and you have to work a little extra. So it definitely isn't about, um, a rule necessarily. It's, it's more like a rhythm. I've watched you find the rhythms of connected work, the rhythms of a connected life, right? So uh, just give a little distinction. You're not like a fanatic where you're like 68 hours, that's it. I don't care if there's a deadline. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you know? You know, how, you know how I think about it? I think about it like a, I think about it like a relationship. If, if, if I say I'm going to do something, I need to do it. Right. And if I say I'm going to do something and I set a date or a timeline to it, I need to be a man of my word and I need to hit that date 
or I need to be honest and say I wasn't able to hit the date. So now I tend to be, especially in the past, I've tended to be a procrastinator. So there's times where then I'm like, shoot, this is due tomorrow. I said I was going to do it. I'm up till 3 a.m. doing that thing. Right. Right. That's my own fault for lack of time management. Yeah. But, you know, I try and um, to the best of my ability, have a plan where I know when things are coming so that I can work ahead and not have them dogpile on me. But they do dogpile on me sometimes, you know? Yeah. Sometimes um, they, they catch me off guard and I end up working a lot. But I always try and communicate with my wife as well through those moments now where I'm like, hey, babe, this is going to be a long week, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the, and the grace, like, like you're talking about, right? Like in those times when you do procrastinate or the thing didn't go as well, right? Being really kind to yourself and not being, you know, the first person to throw you off the cliff, right? <laughs> Beat you up. Yeah. And I tend to be that person for myself. Like no one's harder on me than me. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's like, uh, where they call it the rule of reciprocity. You know, it's like, if I work 15 hours, I'm not the only one who pays for those 15 hours. Yeah. My wife pays for those 15 hours. My kids pay for those 15 hours. Um, the, my coworkers pay for those 15 hours because if I don't find a way to pay myself back emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically for that effort, if I don't pay myself back, what happens is I'm now creating a deficit in my life. And that deficit over time, you can dig yourself in a really deep hole. And, you know, and so like when I stepped out of pastoring, after 11 years of overboard commitment. Um, and I was super burned out for 10 months. That's actually when you met me, I was like in a sucking my thumb, staring at my navel, thinking about my life. Um, but you know, it's like I had dug such a deep hole that finally 10 months later, when I finally started to come out of that, I, I remember my wife um, sat me down and she's like, I love you. I feel like you can handle this now. But she's like, you have a lot of trust to earn back with me and the kids. Mm-hmm. And, and it was because even though I was air quotes here, doing God's work and doing yeah. all these good things, um, they were also paying for that price and they paid for it without me there. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to eat humble pie and go like, crap, like I really do have trust to earn back with you guys. I like that language of paying, paying it back because we do expend our energy, our time, our efforts, and um, we aren't the only ones paying for that. And uh, there's somebody that I know who's an author and he's a traveling speaker. And when he, um, you know, he's gone a lot, like he travels more than half of the, the year. And wow. He says, you know, but our fa- our family, my family pays for that, but they also get paid back. He didn't say paid back, but he's, yeah. they reap the rewards of what I do. And right. so um, kind of makes me think of that, like, oh, your family's paying for it. Make sure they get paid back as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those rewards sometimes are financial. Hey, we get to go on vacation because dad did that extra right. consulting job. Some most of the time it's, it's really, um, especially for my family, it's about quality time. Mm-hmm. It's about face to face time when I'm not angry, frustrated, or stressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
stress. That's, that's the thing with me. Ken's like, oh, you work from home, but the, you know, you're, you're in your mind thinking you're not with me, you know? <laughs> so I've had to make those transitions like, oh, okay. And, uh, sometimes I'm great at it. Sometimes I'm not, but see, and, and everyone's different. Like for my wife, Sarah, when she gets stressed out, she, it's like, she shuts down and like internalizes it. Ugh. You know, and it's like, good Lord, what's happening over there? You're like as tight as a clam, you know? And, uh, but when I get stressed out, it generally comes out at others, not at people I work with. It comes out at my family. Yeah. I get, I get barky. I get grouchy. I'm like, you know, I attack out. Whereas my wife, she just goes inward. Yeah. And so it's, you know, that's part of the burnout thing too. It's like, you got to figure out which one are you? Mm Mm-hmm. And where, especially if you're going to embrace change, if you're going to embrace change as something to reveal your greatness, it doesn't mean it's going to be stress-free. I've decided it's going to reveal my greatness. So it now no longer causes me stress. Well, that's BS. And we don't want that. You don't want a stress-free life because you need stress, everyday stress to help you with your nervous system to be flexible. It's like working. It's the weights that you lift every day that matter so that when a big stress right. comes you don't crumble underneath that exactly and that that stress you could almost take the word stress and equate it to capacity because the more stress you can handle the greater the greater capacity that you have yeah. the greater capacity you have the more people will trust you with bigger things the more people will trust you with bigger things um, the more money you'll make <laughs> you know and so it's like you know, I have a pretty high capacity for stress, but I still have to practice self-awareness. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of people who can handle stress, air quotes here, they handle stress, um, but then it gets taken out somewhere because they lack that self-awareness. And what originally started off as their strength, high capacity, yeah. turned into their weakness because that stress has to go somewhere. It has to be processed. Yeah. And um, you have to at least be aware of the signs of what are your triggers of when do you know that you're um, stressed out so that you can at least process it and then um, approach it in a healthy way. So let's just for those listening, you know, I'm thinking, um, know that you have to know the signs. What could some of the signs be? We talked about one where you lash out. The other is clam up, depending on who you are. Um, yeah. what could some other signs that your capacity, you're like operating beyond your capacity of stress? Um, one of the things that, um, for me in the past has been avoidance of conflict. Okay. I just avoid, avoid people, avoid situations that, um, that I don't want to deal with because I would have to challenge someone or, you know, any, any kind of conflict avoidance is something that definitely, um, I think people engage in a lot. Um, so avoidance, shut down, um, anger or aggression. Um, I also think that there's, um, it's not just avoidance. Sometimes people just go really passive. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden they just go straight into people pleasing. Yeah. So they're not, they're not going to avoid it. Um, they'll still, they'll still engage, but the way they engage is just by kind of like laying down and dying, Yeah, you know, 
I, I feel like those are the main ones that to me stand out and I've done all of them. Yeah. And there's, I've like, had, I've, there's like the physiological ones, right? Lack of sleep. Oh yeah. Problem with your appetite, whether you have a bigger appetite or no appetite. Um, Migraines. Yeah. You know, like your, your neck is constantly like jacked and you're like, why is it so jacked? And it, your bed hasn't changed and your pillow hasn't changed, but you're carrying all that stress in your shoulders, you know, mm-hmm. like these are all things that like you, you know, there's actually a book called the body keeps the score. Yeah. And it talks about how trauma and stress is literally stored in your body. Yeah. It's stored in your muscles. And that just that title, just the title alone, the body keeps the score has been so powerful to me to go when I'm in a stressful situation, when I'm in a stressful time, A, am I being gracious to myself? B, am I doing the things that keep me in a place of being healthy, like exercise or going for a walk? Um, Or C, am I still continuing to surround myself with people that bring life to me? Mm -hmm. That's one of the fun things with me and you, Mel, is like we go and get coffee and it was like we can connect on a friend level we can connect on a professional level. Yeah. Um, we, we generally laugh most of the time. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like um, my, my family always knows when I'm talking to Melanie, cause generally I'm laughing. They're like, Oh, he's talking to Melanie. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like, do you, do you, or are all of those things, have they exited your life because you're stressed? You know, it's like, that's by the way, a sure sign of burnout. Because yeah. if you've abandoned all of the things that you do that keep you healthy, yeah. I don't have time. Oh, I don't have time. You know, my wife says, and I'm not to pick on my wife, but she would say that I just don't have time for that. And I'm like, you don't have time to not do that because <laughs> the rest of us are miserable because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Right. You know, for her, writing is her outlet. Yeah. I'm like, please, God, take your computer and go to a <laughs> coffee shop and don't come back till you've written a chapter. Yeah. You know? <laughs> The rest of us need you to go write your sci-fi novel, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's um, that, that need for ourselves. Moms particularly can forget about that. We're always putting everyone else first and everyone else's needs first. And um, we don't ever let ourselves have a need. There's a, there's a brief moment where stress can accentuate or accelerate your ability to achieve but over the long run it actually it actually decelerates your ability to achieve so like if someone showed up with a gun right now i would be under stress but i'd also be hypersensitive and aware and i could probably react a little bit faster right but that's and that's the difference between a reaction prolonged stress actually decreases your output yeah and so i was uh listening to this podcast uh with this guy uh tim elmore i think his name is he was telling this story about when they built the Golden Gate Bridge, um, they didn't have any safety net under it, and they were going so slow that they were not going to finish on time. Mm-hmm. Um, but these guys were under extreme stress. They're literally walking out on the Golden Gate Bridge. It's super windy out there, building yeah. a freaking bridge, hanging a couple hundred feet above the water. Yeah, And they have like 98 people fall to their death. And so they're like, we're never going to finish this bridge on time. And so um, the guy, uh, Strauss, whatever is, I don't don't know if it's the same as Levi Strauss, but it might be. He he decided to spend the equivalent of like $3 million to build a net under the Golden Gate Bridge so that as they built it, it would move. And what happened was 
is when he just, just by building this net, um, which by the way, he's like, now we're guaranteed not to finish on time. Um, just by putting the net up, it created psychological safety, which meant the guys felt less stress and they actually finished the bridge um, on time. That's just great. by having that safety net there that alleviated the stress. Wow. So how many of us run around carrying stress because we're in a season of change or transition Yeah. and we give ourselves no permission to do the things that create the psychological safety net, i.e. exercise, i.e. coffee date with a friend that you can talk with about anything. Yeah. We just omit all the things that create psychological safety and then wonder why we are underperforming because when there's no net, we all tend to move slower. Yeah. We tend to be more cautious. Yeah. We tend to um, constantly be evaluating. Like, um, it's funny, my wife and I, we've, our, our date nights have totally like, just totally come alive because I finally have allowed us to share meals. <laughs> Normally I'm like, I'm buying the steak and you can't have it. Get your own steak if you want one, right? But Sarah, okay, really quickly, <laughs> hold your thought. I told Sarah that when we were in San Francisco, um, me, you, and the crew, um, that there was food I wanted that was same with what you wanted. And we both were like, we could have several things on this menu. And you said, do you want to, do you want to split? Like you order the one and I'll get the other and we'll, we'll share it. And I told your wife this and she's like, you're welcome. That was her response. You're welcome, Melanie. He never would have done that before. I've been working on him forever. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was thankful because both of those sandwiches were freaking amazing. I think that was the yeah. best BLT I've had in my life. I tried to go back and get it the next day when I was driving my brother home, but they were closed. <sighs> okay. So that's, that's like 20 years of work, but <laughs> it's funny yeah, of my wife's work on me, yeah. but like, What's crazy is that for her, she goes to restaurants and she freezes. It drives me nuts. Uh -huh. I look at the menu and I'm like, oh, I'll just take that. Uh -huh. She's like, ah, but I want this and I want that and I want this. Our date nights have gotten so much better because we have a lot of psychological safety now because I go, you get to pick two things. Wow. Pick two things because I can eat anything. I'm just like a garbage disposal over here, <laughs> you know? So you go pick the two things you want the most and I'll order one and you order the other and we'll both get half. And she's just in heaven. It's like the greatest thing I've ever done for our date life. See, you know, this is marriage advice you need to give to young couples. <laughs> yeah, but it's, but for her, it's like, it's the safety net of, I'm not going to miss out if I order one thing and hate it. Yeah. yeah. Now I've got two, now I've got options. And my wife is very much an options person. Me too. I'm an options person. Ken actually, he'll call, that's my nickname, options. <laughs> <laughs> options, what? Yeah, goes, all right options let's go <laughs> i can hear him saying that too because <laughs> i'll be like i don't know i i think i want this or this he goes all right options come on let's go <laughs> <laughs> i gotta tell him about this meal splitting thing <laughs> you do, you do. <laughs> oh, so funny. okay so in light of everything we talked about what do you kind of want what charge do you want to give to people um, so if you guys are listening, if you, if you stayed this long listening to me ramble on, first of all, well done. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, I guess what I would say is 
I'm trying, I've been trying in the last couple of years to really embrace change and to not see it as something that's trying to bury me. I've said this multiple times, but something that's trying to reveal me. And I would say, I'm so glad that we have been, that we made this change. I'm so glad that we took the risk. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for what it's producing in me. And if you feel stale and if you feel stagnant and if you feel like um, no matter what you do, you're not able to make the momentum that you want, I challenge you to do something that's scaring you. It doesn't have to mean moving across the country. Mm -hmm. It could be like Melanie starting up her podcast. We talked about this for forever and she's doing it now, you know? Um, What is it that, you're afraid to do because I want to tell you there are people all over the earth right now that are doing the thing that you're afraid of and it's easy for them not because it was easy from the get-go but because they just chose to take an action and do it and it's the process of taking the action and doing it that you learn what you need to learn along the way so that you can be great at it I'm so glad that we've taken change I just challenge you to be willing to actually look at change And watch how it'll, it pulls just by being willing to embrace the change. It pulls all these parts out of you that you didn't know that you had. Yeah. Patience, creativity, resiliency, you know, um, uh, kindness. Um, It can also plot ugly parts of you that you go, wow, I really need to work on that. You know, like, I mean, obviously just the tension of moving across the country. We definitely had a couple moments where there was a little bit of yelling going on, you know, like all of those things are gifts, they're gifts. And I just would say like, um, if you're contemplating making a change, I challenge you to do it, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously get wisdom. If your change is that you want to, you know, divorce your husband and marry your boss, that's a bad idea. You know, (laughs) like, don't, don't just do that. But I'm talking about change that's beneficial. Yeah. You know, seek wise counsel, but be brave. Yeah. Why live small? You only got one life. Yeah. I thought, I thought I'd never leave Reading. And then all of a sudden, you know, if there was a place I was going to move, um, I didn't know where it would be, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I always thought I'd love to live in Tennessee. My dad grew up in Tennessee. Now I'm here. Now I'm here. It's a, it's a whole new world. I'm just learning all kinds of stuff. It is so fun. Scary as hell, but it's so fun. I think the, what I want to add on to this charge a little bit is I liked what you talked about with the safety net. So yeah, like we're all trying to do good work out there. Uh, but when we do it under the pressure of that fear of falling or that fear of whatever, or whatever that stress failing, right. The fear of failing that stress is added. What's your safety net. So figure out your safety net. Is it there? Uh, maybe you need to build it up more. Maybe it's absent completely, like figure it out, build up that safety net and make a practice of it. Yep. And I'll tell you my safety net for me has always been friends. Yeah. I don't, I'm not afraid that I'm going to lose my friends just because I'm across the country. Right. Um, my other, my other psychological safety net, you know, that I have is like for a long time, I've been really afraid to be a failure. But at this point, I've completely like redefined what does it mean for me to fail? Mm -hmm. If I fail financially, that 
doesn't necessarily change my character. Right. Because if I fail financially, it's not going to be because I cheated someone or did something illegal. Right. You know, it, um, so and finances aren't my number one um, thing that I gauge for success. Mm-hmm. Like for me to be a failure, I'd have to cheat on my wife. Yeah. For me to be a failure, I'd have to be a deadbeat dad. Yeah. For me to be a failure, I'd have to intentionally um, go out of my way to harm someone or put someone at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Well, those are the things that I would deem a failure. If I'm truly living with a pure heart, wanting to seek and honor God and wanting to multiply my gifts and impact in the world, and I fail in the effort of doing that, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Because I'm going to learn all these things along the way. Yeah. So right now I'm embracing risk. I'm going, God, what gifts and talents have you given me that align with, with who I am and the opportunities in front of me? And how do I do more of that? Mm, love it. And in doing that, I'm really excited because all these cool ideas and opportunities are coming up that I would have never given myself permission to do before. Yeah. And now they're in front of me and it's really fun. It's good. I'm excited for you, friend. I can't wait to see where you're going to be at this time next year. Um, sing, right. sing. I'm what I know. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> no, no. Sing Sing, it's a it's a prison. But anyways. Oh, sing sing. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed he seemed so nice, but now he's in prison. <laughs> I thought I thought you were saying same same, but you were saying sing sing the prison. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, San Quentin, but I'm in California. So anyways. Um so how if people want to like follow you on social media or hear about you more, what what should they do? Yeah. So, um, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, I'm at Aaron Hayes, three fifty six or Aaron Hayes consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can follow me there or on Facebook. Um, and then I've got a website, it's called, um, Aaron Hayes and yeah. you can go on there. There's other podcasts I've spoken on. And, um, also there's links to the different types of, um, consulting and coaching that I do. Um, and then I, before I moved, I was doing a daily, um, video just to help people lead with hope. Mm-hmm. And I was being really consistent with that. And then I gave myself permission to take a break from that while we were moving. So I'm going to be starting that back up, um, starting tomorrow, actually. Oh, oh, so wow. yeah, so I'll be posting a video every day. Uh, it's generally like two to three minutes of just kind of a thought or something I'm processing mm-hmm. to help you get inspired and lead with hope for your day. So you can follow me on those as well. Great. Well, guys, if you enjoyed listening to Aaron chat, which I always do, he is a wealth of knowledge. And actually, when I was like, I don't know what to have you talk on, because there's so many things I love that you talk about. We just did it this style, like, let's just shoot off the hip and see what happens. So maybe we'll have him back on and talk about, like, give a little teaching or something. But anyway, find him on social, find him on his, um, on his website. And bye. Bye, Mel. Bye, guys. I am so excited that you joined us today. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you liked what you heard today, please like and follow us. Uh, Subscribe to our podcast. Share it with your friends. We want to hear your feedback, too. So reach out to us via the contact info 
in the show notes and we'll see you next time.